just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. It is Saturday, and as I speak, I am in Savannah, Georgia, like I told you I would be. We just got here later this afternoon. Uh, We flew into Jacksonville because the airline that my wife works with doesn't fly into Savannah after October. So we flew into Jacksonville, rented a car, and drove two hours to Savannah. On the way, we stopped by Jekyll Island. I've been hearing a lot about that place. Very cool place. Seems to me it's kind of a cross between Hilton Head and Tybee Island. I really like Tybee. It's a little more beachy town, and uh, we're going to try to get there. And I'm happy to tell you the weather is pretty good. It was about 72 degrees here as we were walking around yesterday, and That is just about perfect. Not too hot, not too cold. It's like 26 in Minnesota with snow. So I'm glad to be in Georgia, at least for a couple of days. And of course, we have the runoff election coming up on December 6th. My wife and I will be leaving Monday, uh, December 5th. So we won't be here the day of the election. But it's going to be interesting walking around today and tomorrow and get a sense what, uh, what people are feeling in this part of the country. This is a very important election at this point. Uh, This is going to uh, keep things in the U.S. Senate pretty much the way it's been the last couple of years, should the Republicans win. But we know there's no chance of that because Herschel Walker is a dumb piece of shit and there's no way he's going to win. Now, if the Democrats get 51 seats in the Senate, this is going to be a big difference. As I've said in previous podcasts, if you're a 50-50 split, there's kind of power sharing. There's equal numbers of people on each of the committees. So you get a lot of things that come to a draw and never see the light of day. If the Democrats can get one extra senator, that gives them a little edge. It also cancels out Joe Manchin, which is a good thing. So we're counting on Raphael Warnock beating Herschel Walker. And I just got this feeling, man, I just, I really feel that it's not going to be a problem that Raphael Warnock will win fairly easily, partially because we're hearing about the record turnouts in voters for this runoff election. Uh, They gave them a shorter period of time where they can vote uh, early, but people are coming out nonetheless, and they're standing in lines for an hour, two hours, but they want to vote. They have the same urgency they had in 2022 during the midterms and in 2020 when Donald Trump was running against Joe Biden. People are concerned what will happen if the Republicans take control, and they should be concerned because the Republicans have shown us that they want to run this country into the fucking ground. Now, before we get to the show, I want to talk about something. I had kind of a weird day. Anyway, we flew to Jacksonville, drove to Savannah, Georgia. We knew we were going to do that. Now, on my phone, I get a lot of calls. 
they don't have a name attached to them. They're just numbers, and 99.999% of them are scam numbers. So I don't even answer them. I don't even look at them. And I got a few calls today, and I didn't think much about it. And then I got a text from the same number who had been calling me. And this text said, I'm such and such officer with the Duluth Police Department. We need to talk to you. I'm going, what the fuck? I haven't been in Duluth for months and months and months, and nobody in my family has either. I can't imagine what that would be. And then my son stops at the uh, condo, and we're gone, of course. And in the door, there is a uh, business card of a local police officer saying, Mike, please give me a call. Now I'm thinking this is weird. I know I didn't do anything wrong, so it wasn't anything like that, but then it hit me what was going on. I've talked about my father in the past. Now I haven't had much interaction with him in 25 years. He uh, had his own problems. He chose to uh, alienate the family, and uh, we went on and lived our lives as he did too, the way we wanted to. Well, he's 82 years old, and I know he wasn't in the best of health. He had spent some time, a lot of time of his life, drinking pretty heavily. He was a narcissist, a sociopath, and a pathological liar. So I had kind of an inkling of what this call was going to be about. I expected it at some point or another. And sure enough, when I finally did talk to the police officer in uh, Duluth, he told me what I expected, that my father had passed away. Again, he was in ill health and he was 82 years old. So it's not really that surprising. They're not going to do an autopsy. Uh, I don't know if it had to do with type 2 diabetes or some other things. I know at one point in his life, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, he did do, he was on dialysis for a time. So whatever he had, and he'd put on a lot of weight, a lot of weight. So he was kind of a uh, sure thing for a heart attack or some other issue. And sure enough, it happened. Now, it was interesting when this guy called me. And when I was talking to him on the phone, he was trying to be very careful, trying to be very uh, compassionate. He said, I, I, I called the local police because I thought this is something somebody should tell you in person. And I understand that. Under most circumstances, that would be the case. He was probably taken aback that I wasn't real emotional at this point. I wasn't upset. You know, it's sad when somebody in your family dies. And I don't want to speak ill of the dead, but there really was no relationship between my father and I. He didn't really know my kids. He certainly doesn't know my grandkids. So he's been kind of out of the picture. And for me, I'm a father. I'm a grandfather. I'm a husband. I've gone on and done my own life. I don't need a daddy at this point. He chose his lot in life, and that's how it played out. Now, here's where it got a little weird. I call my brother, and I say, this is what happens. And his reaction was pretty much the same as mine. He and I are on the same mindset. And then I call my sister, who is out west, who I don't see that much. She's quite a bit younger than I am, 10 years, but she's a pretty intelligent lady. Now, as the three of us were talking, my sister says, we should get my other sister on the line, too. And I said, you know what? Maybe you should just call her. I really don't want to get involved in a drama. This is somebody who loves drama. 
she throws herself into drama. And I don't want to do that with this. I'm not as emotional as maybe she would get. So anyway, my brother and my sister got my other sister on the phone call, the four of us. And we were talking about what was going to happen. Now, you have to understand my other sister, the last sister that came on the call, was the Trump-humping sister that uh, I've told you about in the past and her husband. I haven't talked to her in a couple of years since we had this blow up in her house. We were trying to just drop off some presents and be nice people. But of course, her Trump humping husband got unhinged. And I could see she was a little perturbed about this. I thought she'd get real upset about my father's death. And maybe she did. But as we're going along, of course, this turns into a fucking Trump humper debate. Her husband drops in and he's talking about, well, we haven't seen you guys. Would you just cut us out of the family? And I said, well, you kind of cut yourself out of the family. You wanted to come to a Christmas when we had a lot of young kids and you weren't vaccinated and refused to get vaccinated. So we did not want to put our kids in that situation. And then you throw in the fact that I was over at your house, you become unhinged, and because you can't control your emotions, I have to deal with your shit. I'm not real comfortable with you coming to my house when I've got a two and a half year old granddaughter worrying about whether or not you're going to become unhinged with me. Well, it was an interesting conversation. It went pretty much like every Trump humping conversation goes. And uh, of course, they're the victims. And I'm the bully, even though when I was at their house, when this blow up happened, never raised my voice. Not once did I raise my voice. They didn't like the things I wrote on Facebook or TikTok or whatever. And they were just waiting to jump me. And they waited till I was in their house. Now, I know enough about uh, Trump humpers and narcissists and sociopaths that you don't engage in an argument with them. You don't yell and scream with them because that's what they want. That's their home turf, if you will. So you take that away from them. I was very calm. <laughs> and we're on this phone call and uh, they were trying to do that. They're saying, well, you were the bully. You started it. You were in my face and yelling. And my wife steps up and says, uh, I was there. That's not what happened. <laughs> and, then they, <laughs> and then they, of course, divert and distract and do whatever. And then they said the one thing that I hear a lot from Trump humpers. Why do you have to be 100% right? Why don't, you, why don't you compromise? Why don't you hear what we have to say? And I said, frankly, I've heard what you had to say. You're a supporter of Donald Trump, racism, misogyny, anti-Semitism, overthrowing the government. That's what you're for. And I'm not. So I can't compromise with you. I can't say, well, you're right on this, but I'm right on this. That's not going to happen. You're 100% wrong. I'm 100% right. And that didn't go too well. Ultimately, I just hung up. I said, I don't have time to deal with people who can't think critically and want to debate and won't listen to another side. So I'm fucking done. And I hung up on them. So that was my day today. <laughs> a little weird, a little fucked up. But I'm doing fine. For those of you folks that are concerned about my father dying and me being upset, don't be. I don't need the sympathy. I knew this day was coming. 
and uh, he's an older man and he wasn't well and I haven't really talked to him in 25 years so the emotion's really not there it's kind of like yeah I knew it was going to happen he's been out of my life my kid's life my grandkids life for so long he's kind of inconsequential at this point and I hate to say that about somebody who just died I mean he is my father and As much as there were bad memories, there were good memories too. And I will think about that. I'll pray about it. I'll wish him the best in the afterlife. But I'll go on with my life and try to do the best I can. Try to do better than he did. And that's always been my goal. Try to be better than my father. Try to get my sons to be better than me. And hopefully my sons will try to get their kids to be better than them. And maybe we can get some progress and make this country a little bit better. All right, enough about the personal stuff. I really don't talk about personal stuff that much, not because I'm afraid to talk about it, because it's frankly not that fucking interesting. So let's talk about the business at hand. Let's talk about what happened in the news. And uh, frankly, there's a lot of shit that was happening. So they had the closing arguments on Friday, yesterday, in the criminal trial of the Trump Organization, with New York prosecutors urging the jury to put aside politics and the company's namesake and focus on simply the fraud allegations against it, despite accusing Donald Trump of knowing about the schemes in real time. You know, and and this is one of the things that always troubles me. Everybody will say no one is above the law. But if you're rich, if you're famous, if you work for the government, you do get special consideration. So to suggest nobody's above the law is absolutely ridiculous. And what the prosecutors are trying to do in this situation is say, look, regardless of who he is, what he was, these are laws that were broken. Now, the jury is expected to begin deliberations on Monday, but uh, before court ended Friday, defense attorneys moved for a mistrial after prosecutor Josh Steinglass told the jury that Trump must have known about the tax crimes and sanctioned some of them. They didn't like it. And of course, Donald Trump did know because everything that happens with that business, Donald Trump's hands were all over it. It's a small company. There aren't hundreds of different executives making choices that Donald Trump didn't know about. Donald Trump was uh, micromanaging everything he did. He knew exactly what was going on, and I think the prosecution proves that. The whole narrative that Donald Trump is blissfully ignorant is just not true, the prosecutor said. Now, defense attorney Michael Van Der Veen argued that the jury was irreversibly prejudiced by comments suggesting Trump and his kids were unindicted co-conspirators. They have not been charged with any crimes. And therein lies the problem. They have not been indicted at this point. They should be indicted because they were part and parcel to everything that was going on in the Trump organization. Well, anyway, Judge Juan Merchan sustained a defense objection during the prosecution's closing arguments. Stein Glass tried to tell jurors Mr. Trump is explicitly explicitly sanctioning tax fraud. 
Steinglass suggested that Trump authorized tax fraud showing a document in evidence signed by Trump. I think that's pretty good evidence, don't you? And that was to approve a salary reduction for a chief operating officer by the amount of the annual rent of his luxury Park Avenue apartment. So this guy was getting a check every week or every couple of weeks, and then they reduced it. But then he got an apartment for the same amount that was deducted from his monthly pay or weekly pay. That's a little suspicious, don't you think? Or the kids would say, that's a little sus. The document does not explicitly explicitly say it's for the apartment rent, but the reduction was for the exact amount of the annual rent establishment by evidence at trial. See, Donald, Donald Trump's not dumb. He's well aware of how to play these games and just put enough uncertainty into something where he can try to get away with something. But when you put that under the microscope and you really look at it, you go, yeah, that's a little fishy. Former Trump org CFO Alan Weisselberg had testified on cross-examination at a trial that he did not conspire or scheme with any members of the Trump family, only company executive Jeff McConney. Now, this could be very problematic for Alan Weisselberg. Alan Weisselberg, pled out, said he would testify against the company. And in turn, he would get four or five months in jail, which is quite a bit less than what he deserves. Unless he lies. And if he lies, well, then he's going to jail for 15 years, which is substantial when you're 75 fucking years old. So it's going to be interesting to see what the jury thinks of all this. Now, outside the presence of the jury, Steinglass walked back the accusations against Trump, saying the prosecution has not changed their case theory, and the executives, Weisselberg, McConney, Matthew Calamari Sr., allegedly committed crimes. So the jury is going to probably go out... Um, into deliberation on Monday, it sounds like. And then we're going to see what happens. As I've told you before, all these people that keep saying nothing happened to Donald Trump. When his organization, the Trump organization, gets convicted, that's the end of the Trump organization. Don't tell me nothing's happened to Donald Trump because a lot of shit is happening to Donald Trump. And this is just the start. The prosecution went on to say no one, no person, and no corporation is above the law. The rules apply to everyone, calling it a garden variety tax case. Put aside the elephant in the room, or that's not in the room, Steinglass said. The case is not about politics. It's just two corporations helping its executives cheat on their taxes. It's very simple. And the company has to be complicit in it. You don't reduce somebody's salary the exact amount of a new apartment that they're getting and seemingly being able to afford. So at some point next week, I, I can't imagine they're going to be deliberating all that long. It'll be interesting to see what it comes back on. But I got to tell you, when they come back and they find out it, they were guilty, 
and it pretty much takes down the Trump organization, oh, Donnie's going to be screaming like a stuck pig. And that will just be the beginning. Then he's got Letitia James and her civil case looking for a minimum of $250 million against his company. You see where this is going. They're basically making the Trump organization extinct. And Letitia James also wants to make sure that Donald Trump doesn't continue to do business in New York ever again. Well, it's interesting. People are still talking about this little uh, dinner party. When former President Donald Trump held a now infamous dinner last month with Kanye, the anti-Semitic rapper formerly known as Kanye West and a prominent white nationalist, an unnamed additional guest, sat alongside the powerful men. So you had Donald Trump, you had Kanye West, you had uh, Nick Fuentes, And this caused all kinds of problems and all kinds of concerns from the Republicans and the Democrats. Now, what's interesting is it turns out that somebody else was there. Another guest was there. And uh, certainly they had some perspective uh, um, on what happened. NBC News reported only that the other person in Kanye's group was the parent of a student at Donda Academy, the rapper's private school in California. But while speaking about the dinner this week, Kanye briefly referred to the guy named Jamar Montgomery during a live stream with a far-right influencer, Tim Poole. Uh, Kanye identified him as a Boeing engineer. So the Huffington Post, Huffington Post tracked down Montgomery and spoke with him yesterday. He is indeed a Boeing employee, though he did not confirm any connection with Donda Academy. Montgomery told a wild tale about how an invitation from Kanye, whom he says he barely knew, quickly led to a dinner with the former president. This this is uh, this is interesting. Montgomery shared some details from the evening, uh, including some insight into a mysterious phone call, suddenly darkened Trump's mood, after which he began treating Kanye with open hostility. Just a few days after Montgomery met with Kanye, um, he said uh, Kanye invited him to come along on a visit to Trump's Mar-a-Lago. Why did Why did you go? Apparently, Montgomery didn't second-guess the invitation. All I know is he asked me, Montgomery recalled. He obviously felt that either my presence or my input was going to be valuable and wanted me there. That's as far as I can surmise. I wasn't necessarily going to ask, why do you want me there? It's like looking a gift horse in the mouth. You're asking me to go meet the former president. Of course, I'm going to go. Now, this meeting was just another stop for Kanye because he's trying to mount a 2024 presidential run, (laughs) which so far, you know, some of his things that he's going to try to get votes with is that he's going death con three on Jewish people. And more recently, he praised Adolf Hitler. That's always a game changer, isn't it? 
when you're running for election, say the presidency of the United States, say, you know, Adolf Hitler wasn't a bad guy. That's a sure win there, isn't it? But, and this is why I say Kanye seems to be on a self-destruct mode. Nobody in their right mind would do this. Now, he said he has some emotional or mental issues. But we've only heard that from Kanye West. He's told us that he has some of these issues, but we've seen no clinical diagnosis of Kanye. Maybe Kanye doesn't have emotional issues. Maybe he's just a fucking racist, misogynist, anti-Semite, Nazi. He's certainly acting like one anyway. Now, Montgomery said he didn't know about Fuentes' view until the meeting, and that as a civil rights activist, I fight against Nazism. Well, let's see. If Kanye West, who you barely know, asked you to go to a meeting with a guy who we know is a racist, a misogynist, and an anti-Semite, and another guy, you just have to look at this motherfucker, Nick Fuentes, and you can see he's a creepy fuck. You can see he's got a problem. And you can't shut him up, so there was without question at some point where he brought up some racist issues or anti-Semitic issues. But still, you didn't ask questions. I find this really strange. Montgomery flew from California to Florida, where uh, Karen Giorno, an advisor for Trump's 2016 campaign, drove the crew to Trump's resort and home. Now, a camp advisor for Kanye's 2024 presidential bid far-right influencer Milo Yiannopoulos organized the dinner but did not attend. Now, you remember good old Milo. Milo, some years ago, got in trouble, got banned from the Internet because of some references to pedophilia. Yeah, he's a great guy. So now we've got a racist, we've got an anti-Semite, we've got a misogynist, and somebody who supports pedophilia. Who knew that could go wrong? Well, apparently Montgomery didn't. And apparently Donald Trump didn't have enough sense to understand that Kanye was going to promote the fact that he had this dinner and said those things and blow up in Donald Trump's face. We even hear that Kanye said, I'm going to run for president in 2024 and want you to be my vice president. Well, that was the wrong fucking thing to say. You don't say that to Donald Trump, a narcissist, a sociopath. You can't say that to him, but that's exactly what Kanye said. It's funny, when you look at Donald Trump, Kanye West, and now Herschel Walker, we've got three peas in a pod. All three of these men have fragile egos. All three of these men have occasion to say some stupid motherfucking shit. But the problem is, they don't realize it. And how they don't realize it, I don't quite get. It makes no goddamn sense. These people think they're so above everybody else, that they're so smart, that they're so persuasive, that uh, they can talk their way out of anything. That's what I don't understand about Kanye West. He is worth a lot of money. He doesn't need to fucking do anything. 
write a song once a year and shut your fucking mouth. But he just cannot. Now, you remember I mentioned about the Donda private school, which is his private school. And you're probably wondering where he got the name Donda. And as far as I know, Donda is the name of his late mother. It wasn't an older lady or not. Because Kanye got some money, she decided to undergo some plastic surgery for what, I don't know. And something went wrong and she died while under anesthesia, as far as I know. Now, I'm sure this is fucking with Kanye West. But I've never heard anybody being pushed to anti-Semitism because of loss of a, uh, a parent. As I said, I just lost a parent. Doesn't want to make me feel like I'm going to be anti-Semite. I'm sad for the person who lost their life. But as in every case, we have to go on. We have to move on. We have to do what we have to do. Donald Trump has really painted himself in a corner. Kanye West has pretty much destroyed his career. And Nick Fuentes is exposed for who he is. I never understood how Nick Fuentes got this popularity, how he got this notoriety. The kid is fucking 26 years old. Nobody I've met knows as much as they need to know when they're 26. Yet somehow he can go on YouTube or wherever he went. He's now been canceled off that. But he can go on and get millions of viewers. How does that fucking happen? I'm guessing a lot of people that watch him are the older Trump LaFucks because he's saying the things that they want to say and don't feel comfortable in saying. But this guy is a kid. He's a child. He's a decent talker. He knows what to do to inflame people. And he perceives that as a way to get viewers. And sadly, in this country, he's dead on. Yeah, he's getting viewers all right. And it's to the detriment of this country. We have people in this country that have a certain amount of power and they are mentally ill. I'm talking Donald Trump, Kanye West, Nick Fuentes, Milo Yiannopoulos. They're all mentally ill. They don't see the world in the right, right sense. They see hate. They see um, segregation. They see everything that's bad in this country. And somehow they get accolades and somehow they get followers. That's a sad state of affairs in this country. And that's something we got to change. We'll take a quick break and we will be right back. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-whim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. So Alex Jones is back in the news, and I'm sorry to say that like a lot of Trump LaFucks these days, he had another bad day. Alex Jones filed for personal bankruptcy in his home state of Texas on Friday after courts ordered him to pay nearly $1.5 billion for his lies about Sandy Hook and the shooting there. 
the conspiracy theorist filed Chapter 11 protection in the Southern District of Texas court documents show. Now, this probably isn't going to protect him much. Courts have repeatedly ruled against Jones in recent months, ticking him with orders to pay massive amounts of money from the various lawsuits. After a Texas court said he owed more than $45 million in August, Jones was saddled with $965 million in damages in October, thanks to a Connecticut court. So he is up over a billion dollars. And then the Connecticut judge ordered him to pay another $473 million. Now we're approaching $1.5 billion. Now, ever since the gunman stormed into Newton, Connecticut school, Sandy Hook, to murder 20 first graders, 26-year-olds and six educators, Jones has been telling his audience that the shooting was probably staged and that the grieving family members of the victims were actors. Now, we know he did this. And the interesting thing is, every time there was a court case, he just didn't show up. So he lost by default. And he kind of laughed off these judgments because he said, I don't have any money. Go ahead, try to get the money. Well, here's the thing. You don't have $1.5 billion. I will acknowledge that. But what this will do is this will put you in the red for the rest of your life. You can file bankruptcy, but uh, many of these lawsuits aren't affected by bankruptcy. They're going to get their pound of flesh, whether you like it or not, whether you think you're smart or not. He loves to laugh this off as if he's um, gaming the system. But if you've watched him, you see he's a little unhinged himself and he's got some problems. Now, despite his claims to the contrary, InfoWars has been a reliable moneymaker for Jones for a long fucking time. Between 2015 and 2018, the company made $165 million, according to uh, financial records. But as he faced an onslaught of lawsuits that did not appear to be going his way, Jones reportedly started moving his millions around to family members and other companies in order to shield it. Now, there's a problem. There is a big fucking problem. You see... He is lost in civil court now. He owes $1.5 billion, roughly speaking. And um, the last thing you want to do is start moving money around because that is a crime. So instead of just being saddled with all this money, he may be going up on criminal charges sometime soon if they can prove that he moved this money around. Now, he went out there saying... um, I have a a worth of between $1 and $10 million, and I have um, these lawsuits that mount between $1 and $1.5 billion. So I want to um, file uh, Chapter 11 bankruptcy. I think he thinks this is going to help him, but it's not. These particular cases aren't necessarily protected by bankruptcy. And even if some of it is, it's going to be so insurmountable that 
he's not going to be able to save himself. He thinks he's being smart. He thinks he's being sharp. But he's been doing that all along from the time he started uh, talking about Sandy Hook and how it was, was a hoax and how it was crisis actors. He did some real damage to people who already suffered. People who lost their six-year-olds in a shootout, an unnecessary shootout that could have been prevented had the Republicans in this country, had Alex Jones in this country, not tried to block every step of some kind of gun control, keeping uh, guns out of the people that are crazy. I was thinking about the uh, Second Amendment, okay? And the Second Amendment is misread frequently. They talk about the right to bear arms and a regulated militia. And, of course, the Republicans, the gun nuts, will say that doesn't mean anything. That means everybody can have as many guns as they want, do whatever they want, no matter what their background is. And they can say that, but the fact of the matter is there are a lot of rights in the Constitution. But there are limitations and there are restrictions, of course. Now, of course, everybody in this country has the right to vote. You know, unless you've been imprisoned or had that right taken away from you. But everybody can vote in this country. But that doesn't suggest that uh, you can vote as many times as you want and wherever you want, save for Herschel Walker, of course. So there are rights to be had in the Constitution, but they aren't unlimited. They aren't unfettered. I got in an argument with a gentleman one time. Oh, he was pissed. It was back when I was doing traffic reports. And he insisted that when he was in the left lane of traffic, the passing lane, if you will, that he could go as fast as he wanted as long as he felt it was safe. And I told him, that's just not true. You can't speed just because you think it's safe. They put those signs on the side of the road to give you the legal limits of speeds on the roadway. Well, he insisted I was wrong, so I got a state trooper and I said, let me ask you something. We know the left lane is for passing, of course. And I said, is there anywhere in law that says when you're in that left lane, you can go as fast as you want? He said, no, absolutely not. And of course, this guy was absolutely upset. Now the state trooper was wrong. This guy went to my bosses and all this stuff because I was a, a, a mean guy. I was talking down to him. <clears throat> and then I told him the thing that really pissed him off. <laughs> I said, you know, you don't even have a right to drive. You have a privilege to drive. And if you don't safeguard that privilege and follow the laws, they will take that privilege away from you. And he wanted to argue this point. And again, he went to uh, my boss's boss. They called me in the office and say, what did you say to this guy? He's upset. I said, well, I told him that he didn't have a right to drive and that he had a privilege to drive. And that privilege could be taken away if he didn't uh, behave properly. And they looked at me kind of weird and they said, well, that's true. I go, fucking exactly. Why am I here? 
And of course, they said to me, well, you could be nicer about it. No, motherfucker, this guy's out breaking the law. Apparently, he isn't isn't uh, impressed by the signs on the side of the road. So maybe we need to speak stronger to them. They said, well, we've got to keep these people happy. I said, listen, I'm the guy that watches these cameras all day. I see people getting hurt, people getting maimed, people getting killed, children being killed because people drive the way they fucking want to. Excuse me for being upset about that, but I have a feeling you might be too if you sat in my seat. Well, of course, they didn't have much to say about that. They didn't like the complaints coming in from somebody. But the fact of the matter is, if you've got a stupid motherfucker making stupid motherfucking statements, somebody needs to straighten them out. That's how I feel about Trump LaFucks. That's how I feel about anybody that thinks they have ultimate power and can do whatever they want. And since we're talking about guns, here's a story that pisses me off. And part of the reason it pisses me off because it happened not that far away from where I'm sitting now. I don't know exactly how far, but it happened in Savannah, Georgia. Just yesterday, I believe. A 15-year-old boy campaigning door-to-door for U.S. Senator Raphael Warnock was shot by a 42-year-old man through the front door, according to Savannah police, who claimed there is no indication the shooting was politically motivated. Really? Why else would some guy shoot a 15-year-old kid through his fucking door? If it wasn't politically motivated, clearly this guy has some mental issues. So tell me, why does he have a gun? People don't want this to be about politics, but I guarantee it was. I mean, think about who this person was. Now, I don't know for sure that he's a Trump humper, but I'll guarantee you when we find out, we will find out that he is a big Republican supporter, a big Herschel Walker supporter. Why else would you shoot a 15-year-old kid standing on your front doorstep? Were you afraid? Come on, 15-year-old kid, really? So the man was arrested after police responded to the shooting on Thursday around 5.30 and discovered a 15-year-old male victim suffering from a gunshot wound to the leg. And I guess we should be happy that it was just in the leg. The injuries are not life-threatening, thank God. Now, according to the preliminary investigation, the teen was campaigning for Raphael Warnock, oh, totally by coincidence, for the upcoming runoff election when the incident occurred. While at the front door of one of the residents on Hartridge Street, The suspect fired a shot through the closed door, striking the teen, according to the Savannah Police Department. I'm just taking a wild guess here. Just a fucking wild guess. Do you want to bet that this kid was black? Do you want to bet that the guy who shot him was white? So was it a racial thing? Was it a political thing? Or was it some dumb, crazy motherfucker that just shoots people on the front of his steps? Either way, don't you think this motherfucker may maybe shouldn't have a gun? And again, this is something we have to address. There are people out there with guns because the Republicans think that everybody should have as many guns as they like and do whatever they want with them. Since we've gone back to that after having a automatic weapons ban during 
um, Bill Clinton, the amount of shootings has gone up astronomically. That should be an easy fix, right? You take away the rule, let everybody have uh, semi-automatic weapons, and the shootings go up. What does that tell you? Unless you're stupid, it seems pretty obvious. Now, the 42-year-old man was booked into Chatham County Jail on charges of aggravated assault and aggravated battery. How about attempted murder? 15-year-old kid sitting on your doorsteps, you shoot at him. You were just trying to wound him? You were a little aggravated and you wanted to assault him? Fuck you. That's bullshit. Now, Senator Warnock said, I'm saddened to learn about this incident. Uh, He's in the runoff election with Herschel Walker on Tuesday the 6th. I am praying for the victim and their family and wish them a full recovery. Now, we don't have all the details of this, and I have a feeling we won't hear all the details till after the election. And that's where the bullshit comes into play. Everybody's so scared we're going to affect the election. Well, if a motherfucker broke the law, whether he be a former president or some dipshit 42-year-old guy sitting on his couch drinking a beer, a crime is a fucking crime. And people need to be held accountable for a crime. We got to stop being precious about elections. And, oh, we don't want it to look like it's politically motivated. Well, it wasn't this 15-year-old kid that committed a politically motivated crime. He was just out trying to support a U.S. senator. This fucking poor kid can't even vote. But he still wanted to put in the time. He was still compassionate and passionate enough about this to put in the work. And congratulations to him for wanting to be involved. And what does he get in return? Some dumb fuck here in Savannah. Shoot him through the door. And then tell me it's not politically motivated. What motivated? Is it race? Is it political? Or is it just ignorance? Somebody who's emotionally unfit to have a gun. All right, the ranking Republican of the House Foreign Affairs Committee is accusing top Biden administration officials of violating the law by stonewalling oversight efforts of U.S. assistance in Afghanistan in a letter exclusively obtained by the um, publication The Hill. I love this. So what the Republicans want to do, they want to, Uh, blame Joe Biden for the way the pullout in Afghanistan went. And they want to investigate it because they think some problems were there. I wonder if anybody's going to tell these dumb fucks that what happened here is that Donnie Trump was the one that cut the deal prior to leaving office. He's the one that gave free reign uh, to the Taliban. He's the reason why Americans were killed. Joe Biden didn't really have much op- many options. He had to do the pullout. And let's be perfectly honest, that pullout should have happened 20 fucking years ago by George W. Bush. Obama could have done it. Donald Trump could have done it. But Joe Biden actually pulled the trigger, no pun intended. 
But Joe Biden didn't cut the deal, didn't make the plan. That was Donald Trump. So maybe in this oversight, we should take a look at Donald Trump's little plan, his willingness to give free reign to the fucking Taliban. Now, the letter serves as an opening salvo for how Republicans, when they take control of the House in January, are planning to investigate the Biden administration's withdrawal from Afghanistan. Again, Donald Trump's deal. Again, there's inflation, high gas prices. You told us you were going to do something about that, but I haven't heard one fucking strategy, not one fucking plan to do that stuff. But you know what? Go ahead and do it. Because all it's going to do is cost you more votes. They're so stupid, they don't get it, and it's going to cost them votes. And these investigations will go absolutely nowhere, whether it be Hunter Biden's laptop or the Afghanistan pullout. There's nothing to be found. Nothing will be found. They'll spend months and months doing this, if they can even get away with that. Now, Representative Mike McCall of Texas, the top Republican on the Foreign Affairs panel, and its likely next chairman, sent a letter to the State Department, the Treasury Department, and the U.S. Agency for International Development. And honestly, it'll probably go fucking nowhere. They're going to try to do something to Joe Biden, try to make him look culpable for something, but it's, it's not going to work. I mean, we saw them spend, what, 11 months trying to pin Benghazi on Hillary Clinton. They had the power. They had the control. Hell, Hillary Clinton even testified for 10, 12 hours, and they found absolutely nothing. Spent all that money, all that time to come up with fucking zip, and that's what will happen here. And none of this will get them votes. None of this will get them any success in future elections. Let's talk about the Supreme Court briefly. The Supreme Court has all kinds of problems, as you know. People question the validity, the credibility of the court. And it's justified. You have one Supreme Court justice who's married to an insurrectionist who may very well be indicted. And some of that stink may leak over into Clarence Thomas. And then you've got Judge Alito, the Supreme Court leaker. We have a feeling he was the leaker when it came to the Roe v. Wade uh, decision. He had every reason, every motive to do it. And just as some kind of support to that thought process, we find out that he leaked out some information in 2014. And you wonder why we question the credibility of the Supreme Court. We don't have a Supreme Court anymore. There is nothing supreme about this court. It is partisan, it is corrupt, and it is criminal, and this is something we have to address. Now, Congress did send a letter to the Supreme Court justice. And basically what they said in response was, well, nothing to see here. That might as well have been what the Supreme Court's lawyers wrote this week to Democratic lawmakers who are seeking answers about a series of explosive claims implicating the court's right wing. And don't you think that at the very least we deserve some answers? If you want to investigate and question Joe Biden 
about pulling troops out of Afghanistan, when it was Donald Trump's deal, I think the very least you should be able to talk to us about these leaks. These leaks are very dangerous to our court. They put into question the credibility of this court. So not only should the Supreme Court want to find this out, but the American people and Congress want to find this out. You know, it's funny, when the leak came out for overturning Roe v. Wade, they were upset. They were mad as wet hands. And they said they're going to find that leaker. But that was well over a year ago. Have they found the leaker? No. What does that say about the Supreme Court? They're not very good, or they're hiding who, in fact, did leak it. The claims include the potential leak of Justice Samuel Alito's Hobby Lobby opinion in 2014. If it is true, it would be the second known leak of an Alito decision era. Now, the court's counsel letter to the lawmakers Monday recited denials by Alito and Gail Wright, a conservative donor who allegedly received the leak while stating there's nothing to suggest the justice violated, violated ethical standards. Well, of course, what the fuck are they going to say? Yep, did it. Put me in handcuffs. Now, so essentially what they've said is nothing to see here. You're going to have to trust us on that. And that goes back to something I've said many times before. It seems like the Supreme Court can just run roughshod and do whatever the fuck they want. If they happen to be partisan, they can be partisan. Now, we all know that's a bad thing for the Supreme Court, but where is the teeth in Congress? Where are the code of ethics in the Supreme Court? There is none. So for all intents and purposes, these people can do whatever the fuck they want. And that is a problem. That is a big problem for this country. As I said, if, if that's the way you feel about it, then, then you, you don't have a Supreme Court. You don't have one-third or one of the three branches of our government, which puts us, which puts us in a very tough situation. All right, the last thing we're going to talk about, lawyers for Proud Boys leader Enrique Tario revealed in court Friday that they plan to argue during their December seditious conspiracy trial that the far-right extremist group was um, in touch with law enforcement about their plans to rally in Washington, D.C. on January 6th. Oh, yeah, we did it, but the police helped. Now, these Proud Boys should be concerned because, as you know, two Oath Keepers were recently convicted of seditious conspiracy and obstruction. A total of five people were, uh, were convicted, two of seditious conspiracy. The rest, were, the rest and the two that got the seditious conspiracy were convicted of obstruction. We're talking 20 years maximum on each count. Somebody like Elmer Stewart Rhodes could be in jail for the next 60 fucking years. 
Now, apparently Tario spoke with the Metropolitan Police Lieutenant Shane Lamont several times about the group's plans to attend the rallies in the district around the time of 2020's election, according to Naib Hassan, an attorney for Tario. Hassan said he wants to call Lamond as a defense witness. I bet you Lamond doesn't want to be called as a defense witness. I mean, there was some talk about when January 6th happened that maybe some of the police were involved. And we know some of them quit. Some of them committed suicide. Why would you do that? We saw the police open gates and all that sort of thing. Now, the vast majority of the police department, the officers, did their job to the best of their ability in insurmountable situations. But it wouldn't be a surprise to any one of us to find out that some of the police were on the side of the insurrectionist. We know throughout the country there are police officers, people in the military, people in our political process that support the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys. So to find out that one of them might be involved would not be surprising. The question is, if we find out a police officer was in fact involved, that doesn't make the Proud Boys any less guilty. That just adds another person to the docket in terms of an indictment. I'm not sure what Tario is planning to do here, but it's not going to work. His cohorts, the Oath Keepers, already have been convicted. And if they're convicted, you can guess that Tario and his group of fucking idiots will be um, convicted. Now, here, here's, his, here's his explanation. He says, how can there be sedition if they're informing law enforcement of their plans? Hassan asked District Judge Timothy Kelly during a pretrial conference. Hassan said the officer had been threatened by the Justice Department with an obstruction charge if he decides to testify. But again, my question is, even if a police officer was complicit, that doesn't make what they did any less illegal. I mean, whether police officers are involved or not, there can be bad police officers. The fact in, you went into the Capitol, you tried to disrupt a legal process of counting and certifying the Electoral College, and then you got violent. Are you really going to try to tell me, well, we talked to the police ahead of time, so it's got to be fine. Fuck you. It's doing exactly what Donald Trump does. Well, it can't be illegal because I did it right in front of your face. Sorry, that's not a thing. That's not going to get you found innocent by any means at all. It's just not going to happen. But, of course, these Proud Boys are desperate. They saw what happened to the Oath Keepers, and there's no going back with the Oath Keepers. The Proud Boys are likely to fall in line with the same type of situation. And all of this is going to bleed over into Roger Stone, Jenny Thomas, and sitting members of Congress. This is going to be quite a shit show. We've got at least four or five shit shows just beginning. And it's not going to bode well for the Proud Boys, the Oath Keepers, sitting members of Congress, and especially not Donald Trump. If anything, it seems like Donald Trump is the main focus here, and they're going to get him. Here's what I will tell you. If the government wants to get you, you will get God. And Donald Trump is a target. He is a big fucking target. 
and he will go down, whether it be Jack Smith, whether it be Elvin Bragg up in the Manhattan district, because, of course, now they're looking into the, the the crime of paying off Stormy Daniels. That one he thought he got away with, but uh, it's rearing its ugly head and going to cause Donald Trump even more problems, as if he needs more problems. He doesn't. He's got so many problems. And one of them, at the bare minimum, is going to take him down. It's going to take him down. There's no fucking question about it. And these proud boys, their leader, Enrique Tarrio, will end up in prison where they fucking belong. And then we'll start wading into the bigger fish, the politicians, the Supreme Court justice's wife, the um, political advisor in Roger Stone. Roger Stone slipped out of it when he got a pardon from Donald Trump. He's already been convicted of a felony. He should be in jail right now, if not for Donald Trump pardoning him. Well, thank God Donald Trump is not in a position to pardon anybody any longer. And I can guarantee you Joe Biden won't be fucking doing it. Roger Stone will be going to jail. Ginny Thomas will probably be going to jail, depending on what they have on her. But they know in text that they've already shown us that she offered to pay for buses to bring people up from wherever they were bringing them up from. So Enrique Tario is desperate at this point. His uh, attempt to try to be found innocent of this is going to fail miserably. It's a weak attempt at best. So a lot of things are coming together right now. We've got the uh, Trump organization going to the jury. This will be very interesting. We've got Jack Smith looking into the January 6th insurrection and the top secret documents. The plus side to Jack Smith in this situation with the documents is this. Just yesterday, they got rid of the special master, which was another hurdle they had to get over and another delay tactic. Well, that's been thrown out. Now Jack Smith and the DOJ has free reign to do what they need to do unencumbered. And you give that to somebody like Jack Smith, you're asking for trouble. It's not going to go well. All right, we are going to wrap up the Rational Boomer podcast from Savannah, Georgia. I thank you for spending the time to listen. I hope you have a great day, and we will talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.